When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you creative? That's a rhetorical question, because of course you are. A creative is anyone who makes something from nothing. Creativity is everywhere and in everyone. And that means you. So what's been stopping your inner creative from bursting out? Probably fear. Fear is part of creating something. It's a real bee. But don't worry, we'll help you get through that. This podcast will be your guide to claim your creativity, redefine your relationship with fear, and build a new life centered around creative expression. You're going to learn tools from people who have found ways to manage life's ups and downs by turning their experience into purpose. Think of this podcast as your very own creative community. This is Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. Hi, how are you? It's Lauren here with another creative check-in. And this week, I want to talk to you about how to build up your intuition, because I feel like it's a thing that many of our guests have talked about. It's very applicable to the guests today. And it's something in my own life that I've been really working on trusting because I think it helps every aspect of living truthfully, but especially living truthfully with your creativity. This all started on Friday night when Portland was playing Denver in the NBA playoffs. And normally I don't care about sports at all. I was on a soccer team in second grade and my career came to a crashing halt when I did a handstand on the field in the middle of a game and hurt my knee. So that's basically where my sports knowledge began and ended. Haven't paid much attention since then. I do think it's amazing for the camaraderie it can bring, but other than that, not too interested. But my boyfriend, on the other hand, is incredibly into it and he loves basketball. So the NBA playoffs are happening right now. And every time there's two teams playing, he'll just ask me, who do you think is going to win? And I've just been guessing on a whim and weirdly enough had like a 75% accuracy rate. But on Friday night, I decided to really focus in on it because I'm like, I want to make an accurate prediction. Again, no clue about either of the teams that are playing. It was Denver versus Portland. So when he would ask me who wins, I would picture in my head a big, (laughs) this sounds wrong, but a big D and a big P. (laughs) And whatever letter came into the forefront in my mind was who was going to win. But they were, in my mind, they were really closely stacked and So what I said to him was this, and this is wild, okay? I said, it's going to be a really tight game. Portland is going to win, but they're going to win by less than five. But the whole game, they'll be neck and neck. Here's what happened. The game went into quadruple overtime. It's only the second time in NBA history that that has ever happened in the playoffs. It was neck and neck the whole time. Portland won by three points. And I now feel like I'm John Edward meets Sylvia Brown meets Miss Cleo if she had a actual psychic ability. But I realized part of the reason why what I did worked 
was because I had no emotional stakes in it. I don't care if Denver or Portland wins, but I just wanted to see if I could make my intuition come through. So what what I kind of took away from that experience was, I guess I can be incredibly intuitive when I'm not attaching an emotion to it. So I think here's my tip for you. If you're working on building your intuition, practice in places where you don't care. Predict which line is going to go fastest at the grocery store. If you don't care about sports, predict a sports game, things of that nature. And that's just a good practice in life in general. When you're working on developing a skill set, practice in areas where it's easier to access that skill set. And then you can take whatever you learn in that area and apply it to the bigger areas of your life. That's the same thing I did when I was learning how to set boundaries. I'd start setting boundaries with strangers. So then when it came to setting boundaries with people in my own life, it was much easier. So that is my tip of the week because intuition is incredibly important when you're working toward building a creative career. You have to trust your gut. And it's a lot easier to trust your gut when you have a track record. So start practicing with things you don't care about. And also, you know what? I might start betting because honey buns, I need to manifest that cash so I can keep my creative projects going. (laughs) Call me if you want my take on next week's games. Now to our creative of the week. She's community member, independent artist, designer, and mental health advocate, Catherine Duziel, also known as Resurrecting She. I wanted to share Catherine because she's an incredible artist, but she's also been a listener of the show from day one, and I've really gotten to know her well on direct message on Instagram. She's been working on her website since February, and it just launched. I'm proud to say she's finally putting her passion of art into the forefront of her life and focusing on that. She's also incredibly open about her journey with mental health and puts that work into her art. My favorite pieces are titled Psalm 103 and Integration. I don't know much about art from a technical standpoint, but all I can say is both of them make me cry because they're so evocative. So I think you'll love her work. You can see all of her art at ResurrectingShe on Instagram and at ResurrectingShe.com. Okay, now to today's guest. Mitra Rabar is a healer, intuitive, singer, author, humanitarian, and spiritual teacher to stars such as Jennifer Aniston, Giselle Bunchen, Cheryl Crow, and Courtney Cox. Mitra was born in Iran, surrounded by spiritual and literary influences. When she was a teenager, she immigrated to the United States to escape the dangerous political situation in her homeland. The transition to a new country and culture was difficult, but for Mitra, Creativity was a connection that helped her form a community in America. The spiritual part of me and the artistic part of me were the ones that saved me. And it saved me because when you're young, you don't, and you don't have that mom to go to because she's thousands of miles away and you don't have all that. You have to fall on what you have. To me, creativity meant loving people more and still does. Creativity to me is the channel to the heart. Since then, Mitra has built her life on three pillars, devotion to spiritual enlightenment, service, and artistry. Mitra has been a teacher and a guide for thousands, including me. She's also an incredible singer. She sung with Sheryl Crow, and one of her songs was even in the movie Spartacus. She's a badass. And she has this incredible book of prayers called Miraculous Silence that was published by Penguin Books. She's killing it. 
I wanted to have Mitra on the show because she helped me see my own goodness during one of the darkest times of my life. And I know that whatever state you're in, listening to her can do the same for you. She's found a way to combine seemingly unrelated career paths into one path that is authentic to her. From our conversation, you'll learn how to embrace and enhance your intuition, own being a creative multi-hyphenate, use creativity for connection, embrace the power that comes with age, and get into a creative flow state. Now here she is, Mitra Rabar. So I like to start at the beginning. When you were a little girl in Iran, what did you dream of being when you grew up? Um, it was very known to me, and I kind of spoke it when a relative came to our home, and I was really young, I think five or six, and she says, little Mitra, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think, you know, she thought I'm going to say a teacher or a doctor. I said, I want to be on stage, but help people. Mm. But I didn't know what that meant, right? Being on stage and helping people was not a concept that really developed in in my mind in a way that I knew consciously. And it's just as I matured that I realized, okay, there's that spiritual service part of me. And then there's that artistic side of me. And I would love to just bring them together. So I would like to be on stage being the person that I am, you know, the spiritual artist and meshing it up and presenting it. So my five-year-old self knew it much better than my uh, right now 50-something-year-old person. <laughs> well, it sounds like 50-year-old self and five-year-old self are maybe coming back together and getting in line. Yes, the fives. <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> so what happened between, I know at 18 you moved to the US. So what happened between five and 18 and how did that influence your artistic and spiritual development? So what happened between 17 and this time of life was a lot of challenges right? Uh, for a couple decades because I was a forced immigrant. I was away from my family. I wasn't was having financial struggles I was having you know green card struggles I was having all those things that and I was trying to be creative and I was trying to you know be a, a dance choreographer that I was and sing in musical theater and sing and do acting and all that but somewhere along the line I just felt like I just really couldn't do all of this because I was so far and I had so much self-development work to do and so much stuff had built in me. So then what happened is, you know, the magic of the unraveling happened and I came into my essence and I met this beautiful, renowned uh, Iranian singer in Iran and she kind of said, do this, do these songs your way. Wow. And, she, and what age was that at? I was in my, I would say, um, in my very early, very early 30s. Before that, I had sung and done um, a, a lullaby album. But then I, and I had, you know, done musical theater, Fiddler on the Roof and West Side Story and all that. And But somehow she, when she said, do it your way, it was like the universe giving me permission to create something that was not her way or another person's way, but to take the same songs and make it different. So I did that with my husband. You know, I created something that was a mesh of flamenco guitar and Persian folkloric songs. And it was, you know, kind of interesting to me. But little did I know that that was the birth of so much for me in my life. And then it continued and I was writing a lot. And I always 
was like a poet at heart. You know, at heart, you know, didn't mean my poetry was great. No, but I, <laughs> I love the language of poetry. It's kind of like, uh, it's like, I like to speak in that manner. I love to read in that manner. So I think the dancing was like freeing to me, was liberating for my soul. And the singing connected me in a way to the spiritual part of my being. And then the writing just flowed. So to me, like, it's all the same, you know, it's like never surprising to me that someone can sing and they can like dance and they can write and they can, you know, because it's to me all the same. It's just a way of communication, artistic expression. Yeah. Why do you think, because this is something I'm coming up against a lot, because people have a hard time seeing other human beings as full artists, humans, spiritual beings. They want to say you are this and then end it at that. Why do people have such a hard time with seeing the fullness of who we are? First of all, I think it's become much better. Like I remember in my time, you were either a writer, producer, and that was it. And the other day I went um, on Wikipedia and I was looking at someone and they said, actor, singer, writer, (laughs) producer, director, philanthropist, this, this, that. I think people are seeing that a person is like a they have many pieces of their pie, right? Right. And they're all important part of our being. And I think they're people that are very focused on one thing. And they want to be only that one thing. And that's amazing, right? Because that is their passion. And that's their one passion. But then there are people who have so many, you know, interests, and also one kind of flows into the other. And I think I slowly see it that people are becoming more open that, oh, no, like Lauren is, you know, a host of a program. She's a singer. She's also a songwriter. She's, you know, they they slowly walk into it, but they have to do it slowly. I think if they do it all at once, they kind of get overwhelmed. Right. And but when you say they, do you mean like the person who has those different abilities or do you mean the person who's viewing? The person who's viewing. Okay. The audience, the listener, they want to, they think, oh, you know, like I've listened to Mitra always as a spiritual, whatever. I read her book. So it's hard for me to sing her her as a singer. And then the person who's known me as a singer has a hard time seeing me as that. But I think slowly they walk into it when they see that kind of it's interrelated on some level the person doesn't change Mitra's not changing right right you seem much more at peace with it for me when I have those experiences where someone tries to pigeonhole me I'm I get angry how can I not do that first of all you're much 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 we don't want to say how much but much younger than me and you slowly walk into that and I think it's because as an artist, you know, we don't want to get pigeonholed. Right. It's like makes us feel claustrophobic, which is the exact opposite of artistic expression. Artists wants to think that they can create and they don't want to think in terms of black or white, right? We see colors and we see gray areas, you know, we don't. Right. So to be pigeonholed, I think, stifles us. And I think we have to be careful, you know, um, not to do that, just consciously on every level, as artists, as viewers, as listeners, it just to realize that a person has many layers. And when we see a new layer, that means they've discovered something new about themselves. So we should be more supportive and kind of like, wow, this is a new color. I kind of like this part of Lauren too. But if somebody can't be like that, how do I either need to get away from them? Or like, if I can't get away from them, how can I let it go and just be confident in who I am? Well, first of all, I don't think necessarily we should like let that person go because 
it's hard sometimes for people to, you know, not have just a one, blinders. Yeah, yeah. On. And I think in time, they slowly walk into it. So I think you just being who you are, they slowly come to that realization. And some people take much longer and some people, you know, just naturally say, Hey, Lauren, what's, how's this project, that project, they know you have different sides to you. But some people will have a hard time with it. And that's just uh, the nature of how it works, you know. And I think just to realize that that has no bearing on you or anything that you do. You know, my father was sort of like that. He had like, you know, he liked to, for example, he liked this one city. He didn't want to be open to other cities where my mom would say, oh, no, the world is my, you know, home. home." Yeah. Yeah. And he really never changed and she really never changed. The different ways of thoughts. So I think sometimes we teach best, though, by example. Interesting. So if if you just are true to yourself, eventually the other people will come around. I believe so. And if they don't, that's okay. All right. Noted. (laughs) So I want to go back to our little five-year-old Mitra in Iran. You did go through a lot of suffering as a child. As a child, not as much as when I came to the U.S. and as much as I loved it, just being away from family and familiarity and coming from a Middle Eastern background and then coming to a very Western background. Uh, Thank God I was in Vermont, which I think was a lovely place for me to be in because it was a small community and it was just such a loving community and they were so interested in my culture. But I think it was hard because, you know, I come I come from a culture that uh, the family is very like they shelter their children. Mm-hmm. So then I'm here on my own and it's kind of like I don't know how to do that. I and you were know. completely on your own? I was completely on my own. I lived with an uh, American family. At what age? I was 17. 17. Yeah. So how did that suffering affect your creative self? And how can others turn their suffering into creativity or purpose? Well, I remember when I was in Vermont and I remember once in class when the teacher was talking about home and I think going home for Thanksgiving and I didn't have any place to go. I remember I started crying in the class and I walked out. And then I remember, you know, I went and auditioned for the choir. I auditioned for the, um, I created a dance group in school. Wow. And I auditioned people to be part of the dance group. So I would dance, create little, you know, uh, two, three minute dances and do that. And I remember I, I really felt so, I felt that was my connection. I felt the singing and the acting and the dancing was my way of kind of connecting to these people who really didn't have much in common with me, but there was the common form. It was the singing, it was the dancing, it was the creativity. And I formed beautiful friendships. And I think uh, during that time, I would write a lot. Like when I would write to my friends back in Iran, I remember I would write so much and sometimes I'd write poetry. And that was also my connection of not losing the bonds I had back home. So in a way, the spiritual part of me and the artistic part of me were the ones that saved me. Mm. And it saved me because when you're young, you don't, and you don't have that mom to go to because she's thousands of miles away and you don't have all that. You have to fall on what you have. And I think those are what I fell on. I fell on, to me, creativity meant loving people more. 
and still does. Creativity to me is the channel to the heart. It's not about me unleashing the ego. It's about, oh, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to read this book because I love people and I love the experience. And I want to hear Lauren sing because I love her soul and I want to resonate with me. So for me, artistic expression is about loving people for me. And I think that was as a 17 year old, I wasn't conscious of it. But now that you asked me, I think that was my connector. Wow. This make me, I'm crying a little, <laughs> just a little. Um, I've never heard anyone put it that way. Yeah. I, you know what? And I'm kind of surprised that even that came out of me, but it came out of me. I, because I remember I was sitting there and I was thinking, I would cry every night on my pillow for six months and I'd get up and my pillow was soaked and I would call my mom and say, I want to come back. And she says, no, the political situation is bad. You stay there. And I would think, God, what am I going to do? And so I, when I created the dance group, it wasn't like Joffrey's ballet. It was just a simple <laughs> dance group. But I remember when the girls would come and we would dance, we would laugh as teenagers do. Just be carefree, go grab an ice cream, just laugh, just dance. That was the connector part for me. I couldn't talk to them really of my little bazaar back home because they had no concept of it. Of it and it was I did, like the normalizer. It, it made you more human. Yeah, it made me more human, made me realize, you know, at the bottom, at the end of it, I'm a teenager. They're a teenager. Yeah. I want to laugh. I want to feel good. And, you know, when they started inviting me for Thanksgiving to their home and Christmas and I would go there and I remember I would really miss my family, but I would think wow, this is so cool. I'm seeing a Ukrainian Thanksgiving for the first time in my life. I've never done that. And I'm experiencing those things. So slowly that sadness became a joy of experiencing all the different forms of artistic expression that is in the this culture. Right. And that was amazing. That was truly amazing because I think the U.S. does do that. It opens itself up to you and it's up to us to say, this is the stuff I love about this culture, you know, about me being able to be a creative Iranian person and sharing my culture and other people saying, hey, we love that and we're going to use that, you know, in our, you know. In our thing, or I did a funny thing on the way back to the forum, you know, the musical. Right. Oh, we're going to use a little of that Persian dance in this. You know, it was <laughs> the acceptance of it, of right. my creativity was also what gave me, me, making me feel like I have found a place I belong in myself, that I may be thousands of miles away. But there's still people here who give me that shelter. There's so much from this to unpack, but there's a couple things I want to talk about. So you just mentioned the fact that the United States is so open, and there's a lot of people right now that are distraught with the state of our country, which I understand. But one thing I do feel consistently blown away by is how much has originated in this country. The sheer amount of inventions, unbelievable entertainers, writers, artists, it is mind-blowing. And I don't think that another nation rivals it. You know, let me tell you something. I I was um, writing an article and I was thinking, oh, where should I send this article to be published? And then I thought, I have about 2,000 options to send my article somewhere. Where in the world would I ever have those choices? 
I think the United States allows you to step into your own power without quieting your voice, mm. without shutting your voice. But it's up to you to say, I'm going to embrace this. And this is what I always tell to people who come to the U.S. I say, listen, you're in a land that you can really be anything you want to be. But it's up to you to step into that. So yes, the United States is having many challenges right now. But I believe, as Anne Frank did, that despite it all, people are good at heart. And I believe that the Americans are good at heart. And that even though we're going through this period of a little bit breakage, that this will bring a bigger light. Yes. And I believe that. And America has always been kind of the trailblazer, you know, yeah. create a trail. And like any other culture, of course, there's always stuff to work on, right? right. This, is, this is as a human culture of the world, you know, it's like we are constantly supposed to strive for better evolution, better growth, better awakenings. And we're doing that. We're doing that. I believe we're doing that. And I think part of being an artist is seeing the inherent goodness of humanity. So for somebody who's maybe a little bit jaded, has had a hard go of things, has been burned by people, how can they get back to that place where they're seeing the goodness in their fellow human being? I think they have to go back to the source of themselves and see the goodness in themselves. So when you say the source of themselves, what do you mean? I mean that child in themselves, oh, yeah. that little boy, that little girl who believed who believed in the magic of Santa Claus? Seriously? We're almost I love Santa. Zona. Yeah. I always tell people when I go, so as I believe in Santa Claus, they look at me like, really? I said, yes, I do. They said, what do you mean? I said, I believe in the universal concept of Santa Claus, that there is goodness and goodness is rewarded. We don't do goodness to be rewarded, but there is those stars do look over us. Those angels do look over us. Something is seeing what we do. So I think... For those people who've been burned, and we all get burnt, Lauren, we all have disappointments. We all get burnt by friends. Yes, we do. And by, not by only people who don't know us, but by people who know us and we get hurt. But if we, I think we keep realizing even in them to see the little girl they were. That's my new method. Yeah. When somebody's being hard on me or I feel antagonized by a new person, I just started doing this. When I look at them, I see them as a little kid. I actually visualize them as a little kid and see the pain that they went through that's causing them to react to me that way. And then it doesn't bother me. And that's the best, best, best healing thing for you and for them is to realize that beyond this facade of this 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 year old person who is acting in a certain way is that child who deep down really wants to believe. So I think that oh, I just got chills. So I do feel that, you know, sometimes artistic expression comes from our suffering, right? Our pain, like some of the best writers in the world, the best songs in the world are from heartache. But then there are those other beautiful pieces that come from the belief that we are, we can be, there is so much 
goodness, joy, and love. And even through the suffering, you can see the love. Um, I want to give an example of a candle. A candle is beautiful, but it burns, but it creates light for others. So the same thing is of artistic expression. Sometimes the writer or the singer goes through a heartache, but and as they're glowing, those drops come, those tears come, but then they light up a whole room. So then the candle can see how much of an effect it's having. Artistic expression is sort of the same way. It lights up the heart. And what other better divine gift, one of the biggest gifts, I think, you know, is that, that we can move one another through silence, through a song, through a word, through a, through a food, creative food, you know, creativity works in so many ways. A mother's biggest creativity, having a child, how moving is that? So it's about moving. Yes. And I love something else you said when you're talking about your transition to the U.S., how your creativity was almost like a mother-like energy to you. How could someone go about harnessing that? And what does that really feel like? I think first thing is to not expect perfection. I think to be creative just because you want to be creative. Not because basically you want your product to be sold <laughs> yeah, or like you want to be famous, but to create just because your soul a part of our soul is all creative. And how to bring that forth is, first of all, not to put that own judgment on yourself that I need to be perfect. Like I need to draw perfectly, else I shouldn't take the pencil in my hand. No, just take the pencil in your hand and let the pencil guide you to the journey. Right. It's it's your God-given right to create. Yes, it's your God-given right to create. We are born as people who create, right? We bear children. Some of us, some of us create wonderful ideas, thoughts, and we create everyday love. Love is a creation, right? So I think it, to realize that we each have that in us that can nurture us is for us to allow it to flow, just to open the gates just a little bit not shut the door, not to say, Mitra, you need to write this and it needs to be perfectly and edited. Oh, why? I just want to write it because I want to flow with it, go with it, allow it. Feel it. Yeah, feel it. Yeah, I think that there's a great quote that I've brought up in some of the other interviews I've done, but don't let good be the enemy or don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Exactly. I love that quote. Yeah. I just, love that quote. I mean, this podcast alone, it's like I took so long to, I think there is other stuff going on too, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I realize I want my voice out there, so it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be me. It just needs to be your voice. Yeah. And this will take you where it never, wherever it takes you. And it will go to so many different journeys. And you know, that's the, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you have a canvas and you throw the first paint, you kind of don't know what the end result will be, but that's the joy of it. You know, right. not to think of the destination, but the journey. I'm kind of enjoying this journey of artistic. It's not, even, I don't even say artistic expression. I want to just say of soul being. Yes. Yes. Soul freedom really is soul what it's freedom. about. Soul freedom, even better. So speaking of soul, you are an intuitive. Yes. And an incredibly 
gifted spiritual teacher. But I know when you were younger, you kind of pushed your gifts away. Yes. So can you tell me about the moment or moments when you finally started opening up to that side of yourself? It was a struggle (laughs) (laughs) because I kind of didn't necessarily want to be intuitive. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of didn't want to be able to pick up stuff. I kind of didn't want people to be wanting to seek me in that way. And I wanted to strictly be an artist or be a social worker that I was. But I guess the universe had a different plan, right? Yeah, they certainly did. Certainly (laughs) did. So I think it was in my mid-30s where something really profound happened. And it's like I met with a girl and she just was... She had, she said she had a little cold. She was coughing a little bit. And I went home and I was, I went to bed and like all, always it happens. Like a big thing woke me up at 6.30 in the morning, seven o'clock and said, you need to leave a message for that girl. That needs, girl needs to get her throat checked. So as an intuit, you know, you see so, you do so, you know, you get so many things and hits and, you know, like people would always bring their boyfriends to me, my friends, like, oh, do you think we're going to end up married now? Or like, yeah. But this was different. I felt like a big um, critical moment in my soul, which I had not experienced to that moment, to that degree. It kind of like, like a, I want to just say jolted me out of bed. At seven o'clock, I left this girl a message, which I would never do. I don't even wake up that early. So long story short, I left the message. I don't know what happened. Didn't see the girl for a long time. Two years later, I saw the girl. She told me she got the call. And she was a very, very believer in this kind of work, channeling. And she went to a doctor and she had throat cancer, stage three. And the doctor had told her that if you had come two months later, you may not have been. And she survived it. Wow. So when I heard that story, which was two years later, you know, I was like, I kind of remember it was, uh, I was in Borders at that time. There was Borders Bookstore. Borders Bookstore. Shout out. I loved it too. I spent many summer days there at the magazine racks. Yes, at the magazine (laughs) racks. So I think that kind of really kind of awakened me. And like, yeah, that would. That really? Wow. And then when it happened a few times, and then, you know, I I was doing my teachings, and then I just... What were your teachings? Well, my teachings time? just came to me. You know, I wanted, I want to say this. So people will ask me if I always had a teacher. I never had a teacher. I sometimes, when I was younger, I wish I had, but it never happened. Everything I learned was from the awakening of my soul, like to doing so much work. I just, my soul would take me there. And I'm very thankful for that. You know, we all come with different blessings. This was a big blessing I had. My soul always guided me. And um, in my book, I say I swam against the tides. I did, but I learned they were my tides. They were just harder tides? They were, you know, it's like swimming against the tides of my culture. Like I didn't want the things that most people in my culture mm-hmm. wanted. So I always swam against the tides because it felt right to me, not because I was trying to be rebellious. But then I realized one day those were my tides. 
differently made, but my tides. So I think I started embracing myself around my mid thirties, which I know so, you know, for some people, oh my God, not till that point. But yes, for me, that point. And then, you know, that when I did then boom, bam, there it went. Everything happened. The music happened more became, I did much more weddings, funerals, blessing ceremonies, help people cross over. I mean, just everything, the writing, everything. It just love, love, trust, everything open. Once I accepted that this was a part of my journey and I needed to honor it rather than deny it, just because it was different, just because I didn't want people to judge me, just because Maybe a part of me was judging me, you know, and realizing, no, it holds just as much merit as a person who's a doctor in my culture, as a person who's a professor. I've worked hard for this, you know, and I think it's like also surrendering to God's way for me. And I I say this and it sounds really easy, but it was not easy. How did you do it? Because I feel like a lot of us fight our destiny or fight what we feel maybe God wants for us because we think we want to control things. Yeah. We want to control. And we, we, in a way we have limitless control and in a way we have no control. Yeah. And I think it's hard to get in the middle of those two ideas and just be. So how did you get to that place where you're able to surrender to what God wanted for you? I was somewhere with a beautiful, wonderful musician who's passed over. And he said something to me. Um, He said, Mitra, sometimes what we want, what we should do is right there. We don't have to go seek for it. I thought, what's he talking about? (laughs) But what he meant was... You know, we're looking for always something else, right? Like, oh, I want to do that. I want to go to India. I want to go there. I want to, you know, study that. But sometimes everything is right there, right? Everything is right there. Already, I had what I needed to have. I just had to sit with it and let it flow. Mm -hmm. rather than searching for something else to be or become. I was already. Is there a meditation or a prayer you can do? Because sometimes we do know it, but our conscious mind hasn't gotten to where our subconscious is. Mm -hmm. So is there a meditation we could do or a prayer we could say to help that piece of ourselves be unveiled? There's a, there's a wonderful thing in, um, uh, it's not a, it's, I guess can be done as a mantra. It's a sound of the breath. It's <sighs> it means the connection to the breath, the connection to the me. I feel every time I do that, which takes me like five seconds, it connects me to the essence of me, the little Mitra. And that little Mitra always knows. The big Mitra may not, but that mm. little one always knows. And I always, you know, when I'm praying, I always say, God, help me see without the ego. Help me see with the eyes of your love. 
and help me love myself as you love me so I can get out of my own way. Very simple, you know? And I think we get in our own way because we're scared of how amazing we can be. We don't trust we can be so amazing. You know, I think young people especially, there's so much in them. But I think there's that fear. What if I fail at it? Right. What if I can't do it? What if I'm not worthy of it? What if nobody will listen to me? And they say, oh, look at her. She's a, you know, scam artist. Don't ever care what people say if you're living your truth. The truth will be like a big light. And I think too, you know, you said, oh, some people would say at mid 30, she just came into herself that that seems late in life. But I think our society feeds us a big bowl of lies saying that if you're not on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, then just forget it, yeah. you know? And I've definitely bought into those. I was saying to you earlier, I'm like, I feel like it's taken me so long. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just now figuring out all these things about myself, but it comes when it comes and life is on a different timeline than what we think might be the best timeline. Yeah. God's time is different. Timing is yeah. different than all. And you know what? I never, ever have bought into age. I just don't, um, I just don't rely on age yeah. because I think it can hinder someone. It becomes a mindset. It becomes a cage. Yeah, it becomes a cage and it becomes the, like the big thing where it's not, you know, um, I remember uh, when I was younger, I read about Sharon Stone. I remember how she said she got her big break, I think, at 35. I remember, oh my God, 35? Well, that's actually pretty amazing if you can figure it out at 35, which is young, you know. We have a Persian saying that we say wisdom starts really setting in at 40. So I believe that the soul is ageless. So why should I put an age on me when the soul is ageless? And if I get something at 50, oh my God, am I blessed. I got it, that means. Yeah. I got it. Because many people do not ever get it. So I don't buy into all that, that you have to get married at a certain age and you have to like be this and this at a certain age. I only have one motto, always live your truth. And if you live your truth, whatever journey needs to unfold will unfold for you. Absolutely. You said something earlier too about how you always wanted something different than what your culture traditionally dictated. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something a lot of people, even who are born in this country, deal with. You know, I, if you're raised in a certain culture and there's certain expectations of you getting married by the time you're 28 and you yeah. don't do it feeling like a failure – how do you get, when you love your family, how do you get over that judgment that might come toward you and feel confident in who you are? But you know, you never want to disappoint anyone. How, how do you, how do you manage all that and it's, it's kind be of, yourself? It's kind of a little tough until it really happens. Mm -hmm. Even when it happens, you will, you know, people put expectations on other people. They don't realize those expectations are heavyweights. Mm. that we carry in our soul. They do it, most of them, because they love us. And but to protect also us. To protect us, but also it's partly because of something unfinished in them. 
too. It's not just what they want for us. And it's hard to separate that as human beings. But the truth of the matter is no one walks in anyone's shoes but themselves. We come into this world breathing by ourselves and we leave with the breath ourselves. And imagine the beautiful design on any piece of cloth. It's a billion designs, right? A billion. So none of us are designed as the other. You know, one of us is supposed to have seven children. One of us is supposed to adopt seven children. One of us is supposed to be mother to the world. One is supposed to, to be the auntie to everyone. So I think if we don't honor that voice... Somewhere along the line, it really starts to suffocate us. And that's where we develop so much ailments and sickness and broken marriages and broken relationships and anger towards the mother and the father and the culture. I think it's hard to claim your own voice. But I think it comes from self-love and self-worth. Believing that you are worthy to listen to your calling, which is nobody else's calling but yours. And I think when you claim that place, you find the inner contentment. And hopefully, hopefully, those who really love you may get disappointed in their earthly expectations, but they'll see the bigger picture that, wow, my Lauren is happy. And that's really at the bottom of it. I remember when I kept doing thing after thing after thing after <laughs> year after year that was so different. And I felt like an outsider. I say it in my book, Miraculous Lines, I said I felt like an outsider for so many years. I felt, where is it that I fit in really? Not really typical American, not really typical Persian, not really typical anything. And I'm doing things that people in my culture don't do. And I'm into like astrology and I'm into intuitive, <laughs> intuitive things. And at that time in my culture, people weren't doing those things. And I'm into like kind of like I said, I would live in a Harry Potter world, you know, like I love that stuff. And, and now that, there is a Harry Potter world. Yes. And that, that's where you belong, Mitra. That's where I feel I belong. <laughs> and so the thing is that all that was so different in my time. But that was me. And if I had become anything else, I was not going to be really Mitra. I was going to be somebody else's Mitra, but not my own Mitra. And that would be the greatest tragedy. For any human being. Mm -hmm. To be something else for somebody else, but not something for themselves. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> so you did mention your book and I want to talk about it a little bit. So uh -huh. will you tell me you always were a poet and a teacher and a singer and a dancer and you had all these creative essences to you. Yes. How did they end up culminating in that book? And what's next as far as your mm. writing ventures go? So the thing is this book was um, – was not written as a book. It was just like prayers I had done for people, full moon prayers, I don't know, funeral prayers, baby prayers. And then I, as I say in the book, twice in one, in two days, I got a message from two different people. They called me, Mitra, could you send me that full moon prayer? I'm like, I don't know where the full moon prayer is. I don't know, you know. And yeah, there was the computer. But when I started writing, there was really not the computer. 
was handwritten or some of it. Archaic, ancient history. <laughs> and then, you know, I did, I'm like a, I'm a big, like a, like I have all these paperwork, you know, it's like piles of paper. I didn't know where it was. And then someone called me the next day saying someone's mom passed away. Could I send them my blessing for a funeral? And I said, I swear to you, I don't know where it is. I have to go through my stuff. So I was working on another book. And then I said, huh, two messages that these two people said, Mitra, could you please put this in a book? They said, Mitra, could you please put this in a book? And as a person who's into it and I'm into signs and messages, I said, the universe is guiding me. So then the compilation started, which took a while, and the editing started, and then was birthed Miraculous Silence, which is my heart, because my heart is a mystic. I love I love the divine. I love the beloved. Like Rumi, I drink of this well of just the universe. So I birthed Miraculous Silence because I thought the prayers are always needed. Prayers never grow old. You know, how many times have I sought prayer myself? So many times. So there was Miraculous Silence. And now I cannot believe it's going to be three years old. Oh, my gosh. It seems like we should yesterday. have a birthday for it. We should have a birthday for it. <laughs> it's an incredible book. Thank you And so there much. really is a prayer for everything. But I just love the way that the book transpired because sometimes when we're really lucky and we're really meant to do something, God drops it in front of us. Yes. And those are the greatest moments. And I wish you listening that you have about 500 of those in this lifetime yes. because they are, oh, it, you never feel more like you're in the right place. And when something like that happens. Yes, exactly. It's, a, it's kind of magical. It's actually magic. It is magic. It's magic. Yeah. It's magic. And I, I, those are the times also the child and you become so alive because there you are with a magical moment. It's a Santa moment. It's a Santa moment. <laughs> and it's just wonderful. So that's, you know, the book and it has, as you know, mantras and stones and stories. And and then if you're into crystals, she'll give you what the best crystals are to pair with the prayers. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, thank you. And so I know you're also working on a project with your homeland, mm -hmm. Iran. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Something that's very special to my heart. Um, anyone who knows me knows how much I love my country. And um, so when I go back and I do some work there periodically. And um, when I was back in Iran, I this just a couple months ago, I realized, wow, there's so much... So much challenges and, you know, the sanctions pushing more challenges. And But then when I would sit in every little taxi, I would be in the bazaar, I noticed so much kindness. And always at the end when I would come to give a tip, they would say, I don't want the tip. Can I ask for prayers? And I thought, wow, here is this young man. He doesn't have a dime to his name. He, I can tell he's so poor, but he's asking me for prayers. He says, I'm not a beggar. So I want to present Iran beyond and beneath the veil, which it's a nation of kindness who asks for prayers. And I want to present this on stage with song from my homeland, with poetry, and with my observations and my stories. So is it a one-woman show? It's a one-woman show. Oh, we're looking for a great producer now and someone to just put it out there. And I'm sure the universe will bring that in too. Yes. Only the best for my Mitra. Oh, 
That's going to be amazing. Thank you. And what a beautiful thing, too, for anybody who is displaced from their homeland, whether it's from another country or for a lot of us in in LA. I mean, I feel like I'm displaced in a way from Detroit. Yes. And I do everything I can to honor it. But it's really beautiful when you can take your either ethnicity, nationality, or place of origin and incorporate it with your artistic abilities. Yeah. And I think this also presentation is about kindness for me. Mm-hmm. Because if one, if a person can be kind in the face of poverty, in the face of du- daily survival, who can't be kind? That says a lot. Yeah, that that kind of really gives everything a new meaning. So I'm working on this, and I'm also writing again. So I'm enjoying the flow of that. Yes, and what does it mean for you to be in flow as a writer or? any creative project you're doing? It means I allow myself to not, first of all, engage with all the chatter. So maybe talk less on the phone, maybe be less on the internet, maybe take more walks in nature, maybe sing a little bit more, move a little bit more, yeah, dance a little bit more. So the energy starts shifting. So my mind opens up. So I don't feel I have to produce, I have to produce, I have to produce. But rather than let me just be and see where it's going to take me. And that's where the writing finds me and I find it and we become one. Because when there's so much chatter and clutter in your mind, it tries to find its way, but it's hard, you know, because there's no so much going on in your head. So I, when I want to write, I feel always calls to me, uh, wakes me up at two in the morning. And I say, this is my moment with God and my, and my voice. And I sit and write and I write and I, until I know I can't write anymore. And I love that. Can I tell you, I remember when someone told me, oh, you, when you need to, when you want to be a writer, you have to sit and write every day. And I thought, oh my God, that's so not going to be me because I don't know. I can't do that every day. But it's so funny how you can do something when you really learn how to love it. Absolutely. When you're in that kind of flow state, it doesn't feel like you're working. Exactly. It feels it's a labor of love. Yeah. So my final question, because I think that the word artist has often been bougie and unattainable and almost put on a pedestal And I think we need to democratize it. So what do you believe an artist is? What does artist mean to you? I think an artist is someone who's open to the colors of love, to love, to the heart center. Even that they think it's pain, but that flip side of that pain is love. Even if they think it's anger, but the anger is hiding the love. So I think it's someone who's open to love. Mitra, I love you. I love you, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and to my phenomenal guest, Mitra Rabar. Follow her on Twitter and Facebook at Voice of Mitra, M-I-T-R-A, and visit her website, voiceofmitra.com. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's original music. Follow her at Liz Full. Thanks to Juliette Faber for your creative help. Follow at Bonjour Juliette. And thank you again for listening. If you liked what you heard, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. 
I know you hear this a lot, but it really helps and it will help us to reach more people and grow this awesome community. Also share the show with a friend, literally just text them the link and spread the good creative word. You can connect on social media at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at You Are Inner Creative on Twitter. You can join our creative Facebook community by searching Unleash Creative Community. Find me at Lauren LaGrasso everywhere. My top takeaway from Mitra is that we can live many creative lives and whatever age you're at right now is the right one to start a new project and commit to being your full self. Until next week, I'm wishing you peace, love, creative energy, and belief in yourself. I believe in you. Talk soon.